more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash Patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe all right good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you are in the world my name is josh and that is jason our our guest host for the night this is red bill projects conversations on the fringe this is where we talk about the weird the wacky the unusual those things are are outside of the normal conversation that uh, tend to fill our mind in, in between the space of monotony of the day and the chaos of the day. And so I thought it'd be great to have Jason on tonight, to have a conversation, to talk, to, to see where we can take this conversation. Tonight we're going to be talking about, I guess, life's mysteries. Anything we really want to talk about as well 
is we have open lines. And so we can probably get into open lines here in a little bit. And the toll-free numbers are posted on whatever channel that you're watching on. If you go to the original post, the toll-free numbers are there. We'll give them out in a little bit. Please refrain from calling right now. We're going to have a conversation. And towards uh, the uh, mid-half of the show, we'll start taking some callers. But this is what we want. We want people to call in. You can either join in. Uh, we're going to just hopefully you just join in with voice. So keep your video off if you do call in. Just join in with the voice because you're coming up at the top. And uh, when you come in, um, you know, just ask a question. We can kind of go back and forth. But uh, let's just keep it short because we're going to have a lot of people coming in with uh, calls. And so much appreciated on that. And, uh, yeah, very cool. So, Jay, what's up, man? Gosh, good to talk to you, buddy. It's been a long time. You know, when you get back onto this show like this and you, like, uh, you miss it, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, but the topic of today, right? Like life's little mysteries. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, one of the things I do like about technology is in these little short little videos you get is these little tidbits of information you get. And you're like, wait, how is this even possible that, that, you know, a civilization could do something like that when you know about evolution, right? Yeah. And so. I find I find this subject really interesting because the simplest thing can be very complex. Something you think is simple can be very complex, right? There's more to it. And I think as you know, as some of you guys may or may not know, but I have my own business. And as I work and hire other people, the thing that I come to realize is that people have lost the, the, um, to the way to think, Literally, it's, it's, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I go through it and I think to myself, it's like the program had a delete button and people just forgot how to actually think for themselves and problem solve, you know, and it's, it's something that to me just comes second nature. And I don't know if it does for you. Yeah. I don't know if you're as handy as me, but like, I can, I'd like to think that I can fix anything. Like I could change the brakes on my truck, but yeah. I'm not a mechanic, right? Like I can disassemble a motor and put it back together, but I'm not a mechanic. You know what I mean? I, I'm so, the same way. You you have the ability to critically think, not only critical critically think, but manifest that critical thinking into action that derives solution. And um, you know, I think that's a lost quality, a lost trait in this world today. I think that uh, a lot of kids are growing up with that foundation not built within their family structure, within their community. I think that uh, a, a lot of people have a sense of entitlement that just because they have a brain and they can think on their own means that they're somehow entitled and better than everybody else. Um, and, and I think that brings about this uh, narcissistic laziness that we're seeing rampant within the liberal left and can't mention that word tonight, but, but that's mm-hmm. one of the, my thoughts. Yeah. So I'm going to, I do have to tell you this cause I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah. And so some of these things I'm like, man, I got to talk to Josh about. So there's a, if you guys don't know, I live near the finger lakes in, in Western New York and I'm driving down this road. So there's East Lake road and West Lake road. Right. I mean, every lake has it. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so I'm on what is East Lake Road and I'm way down towards the southern part of the lake. So the southern part of the lake is where the inlet is. And then the northern part is where the outlet is. 
So I'm down towards the outlet or the inlet and I'm visiting a customer. I get paid and everything. And I'm driving back up. And just before the, I get to this boat launch, it was almost like you ever seen gasoline from far away yeah. and it's got those like wavy chemicals. Melissa and I, Melissa's with me. <laughs> we're talking. And all of a sudden it was like, we went through this wave and I look and there's all these houses right before the, the boat launch. And they go, those have never been there. And she's like, yeah, what the fuck just happened? And for the first time in my life, I, I mean, you guys, I grew up around this lake. I've been on this lake for the first time in my life. There were houses that were never there before. And like I said, it happened right after that, like yeah. little thing. And I go, I swear to God, we just like, we just went through something. It was the strangest thing that I can think of as happened to me in the last 10 years. So, so when you went through it though, were the houses there? Yes. That's like, we went through it. Then the houses were there and I'm driving. Now, now mind you, I went down this road a half hour before this. There's no houses there. It's all state land. So there's, not, it's not possible that there's houses there. Then when I come back through, there's freaking houses there. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? So she was like, this, why does it feel like we're not on the same road? We just came down. <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly it. And it was almost, I don't know. It was weird, but somebody had said in the comments, the jello was real. And, you know, we've talked about that jello-ness, right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, like when you start to think about uh, the Mandela effect, it's almost like we're going in and out and we're playing these two parts of this. And and that's kind of how I explained it to Melissa. You know, first I had to explain the Mandela effect. Right. And it was like, we just went into or out of what used to be. Right. Because how else do you explain it? So I love so something this. So simple. Yeah. I, I love this because so, I have this theory on it. Yeah. And this theory is that our minds are directly connected to reality, right? Mm -hmm. And that we're, we're continuously creating reverberations within the universe, right? Energy is neither created nor destroyed. So every action you do, every word you say, every thought you make, this is a ripple within the universe. And so the universe has to acquiesce in some sense. It has to bring you your desires, your thoughts, your, your actions, your influences, these types of things. This is what magic was all about. And so in actuality, we create our reality through the, through the thought structures that we create that derive action and the influences of our action into the universe produce reactions, which give us our reality. Mm -hmm. And I had a thought a while back in a meditation, and it was this, that um, if you're trying to manifest a reality, if you're trying to manifest something in your life, you want something to happen, and you're doing everything right, and it's just not happening, well, the universe has to work on the principle of the path of least resistance, very similar yeah. to electricity, right? It, it, well, it it, it's got to be able to find a resolution to that without interrupting everybody else's life path, without interrupting the movement of the planets and, you know, insects and all these other things. Um, so that's pretty precarious in the sense of how the universe has to go about that. Well, if we know that there's linear progression of time and we, let's just say that time is linear in this example. 
And so the universe can manifest it down the road in time. So it can take three years, five years, one day, depending on how easy or simple it is for the universe. But also we have a multidimensional perspective, right? All those decisions in life that you didn't make, that maybe you made in alternative realities, they exist in the sense of probabilistic form as well. And so the universe, I don't think, differentiates between that. And so what I think happens is that the universe looks at it in the sense that, hey, man, I can't do it on this linear time frame, but I can do it on a dimensional level that's just to the side. And maybe it's, you know, 0.1 millionth of a frequency to the right. And it deviates your life path just slightly of which certain things in that reality are going to be just maybe a slightly different. And then as you're doing this over and over and over and over again throughout your life, maybe you're, you know, you were far right. Now you're coming back to the left. Or maybe you're just so far right that your reality is completely transformed and changed. Do you know who uh, Philip, Philip K. Dick is? No. So the, the man in the high castle, have you seen that on Amazon Prime? No, it's good. Oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, but it is a book series written. And it was about this man who wakes up. Uh, in America where the Nazis had taken over. And so the Nazis won World War II, and it was still a fight for America. And he helped save America and then goes back to his timeline. Now, Philip K. Dick in 1977, um, he was a science fiction writer. He died in 1983. In uh, 1977, he was at a seminar where he was one of the guest speakers to talk on the, the basis of what reality is. And he got up there in front of all these physicists and he started talking and he starts talking about his book, The Man in the High Castle. And he goes, you know, one of the interesting things about my book, The Man in the High Castle, and this is something that I've never divulged publicly, but I'm going to divulge it to you people right now, is this wasn't a work of science fiction, but this is a biography of my life. Mm. He goes that that was me in that book that I wrote about, that that actually quite literally happened to me. And when I came back from that alternate timeline... I wrote the book. Then he goes on to say, he goes, I believe if we start looking at the functionality of reality and everything in the sense of how reality unfolds and manifests, that we start seeing it very similar to these computer programs that are being developed. Now, this is 1977. And he goes, I've noticed this and I have friends and clients who've noticed this as well. And this is one thing that we've noticed, and I started looking into this, and I'm going to make the assertion right now, and this is Philip K. Dick saying this, that um, I believe we live in a simulation universe that is multiple various universes packed on top of each other, all happening at the same moment in time, but at different dimensional perspectives or frequencies, if you want to say that. And he goes, and what we do as these beings interacting in the simulation is we pass through these multiple dimensions in the unfoldment of our time. And sometimes we can wake up in completely different realities where like the Nazis won the war and took over the United States of America. And he goes, there's one thing that I want people in the future to start looking for that will prove this theory 100% correct. This is in 1977, he said this. And he goes, the people that I've talked to who have the same understanding that I do, that believe that this reality is a simulation all packed on top of each other and they're not from this universe, have said that at some point in their life, they notice small, subtle changes in their reality, which are subtle but dramatic 
to them that are basically induce a level of trauma within them that they do not understand. And he goes, I guarantee you as various different like the Mandela. There you go. He goes, in the future, as technology gets better and communication gets better, we're going to begin seeing stories come about of people talking about how the reality is different from the one that they're living in. And these will all be examples of exactly what I'm saying, that we live in this simulation universe. And now we got the Mandela effect. Yeah. So we can talk about this, too, in video evidence, right? You ever seen the video evidence of the pterodactyl? flying it's there it's 100 there do i think that that was cgi no i don't i actually think that that is but is it plausible that these parallel worlds can intermingle and touch hmm. right i would say yes right so when you is it plausible that ufos are the same thing that they're able to dimensionally travel mm-hmm. plausible right so yeah, it's 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 fucking wild, isn't it? Well, you know, you know the new one, right? The newest man. Well, I've saw a bunch of them lately, but what's this new one? That people claim that the Sphinx's eyes have always been closed. Yes, I just saw this one not too long ago. Now, do you remember them open or closed? I remember them open. Same here. But you know what? They're fucking closed. So. There's one, and this is an example of what Philip K. Dick was saying, okay? And what you said is that we kind of slide back and forth. This happened, everybody here remembers this. I talked about this over the summer last year. And I posted on the social red pill about this, how I woke up and the, the stars were in a different position and I was freaking out, okay? Now, I'm an avid astronomer, astronomer, astronomer. I look at the stars every night. I know where the, sun, the stars rise in reference to my house, Right, so fucked up. I can't. I can't wait to tell you about. All right, go ahead. So this, I was watching TikTok one day, and I'm watching Mandela videos, and they said your whole life you've probably heard that Earth is on the outer rings of the galaxy, that it's on the outskirts of the galaxy, that we're so far out from the center of the galaxy. He goes, the newest Mandela effect says that we're not. Go look it up and check for yourself. And then he shows footage of Carl Sagan talking about how we're on the outer rim of the galaxy. Of Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that we're out on the the Orion belt, the Orion uh, arm of the galaxy. But then they go and they go to the science textbooks. And I started looking this up myself. And all the science textbooks says that we're in the middle of the galaxy on the Sagittarius arm. And I go, no, absolutely not. No. And everything starts saying that we're in this. uh, Dude, I checked it out myself. Everything starts saying that we're in the middle of the galaxy, we're on the Sagittarius arm. And then they start showing things where Neil deGrasse Tyson is now saying we're on the the Sagittarius belt. And all these other people are saying we're on the Sagittarius belt, which the Sagittarius arm is like the middle of the galaxy. And that night, me and um, an old buddy, not a buddy anymore, we were were watching the stars and Orion arose in... Dude, this is what mine's about, Yeah, Orion. Orion rose... Orion. In the wrong spot. And I was like, I took a picture of it. I posted it on social red pill. And I'm like, what the F? Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. This, no, this all. So give everybody an, an idea. My house faces east to west. So my back of my house so is, does mine. is due east. So does mine. Okay. So my neighbor's house right here. Okay. Yeah. Orion, when Orion would start rising in the uh, the late summer, right? It would rise up over my neighbor's house and it would do the transition over the sky on the elliptic. No problem there, as does everything on the elliptic. 
How long you lived there? Six years. Eight years. So, well, eight years. years. Well, yeah. So about seven years. All of a sudden, it arises in the southeast part of this house, and I'm like, no. And I was freaking out, man. I was like, no, no way. And so I go back and I start watching all these Mandelas, and they're all, and, and I start going out and researching the information, and it's all saying that we're in the Sagittarius arm of the Milky Way galaxy. And I'm like, no. Dude, we, we are on the outskirts. Like, I, I, I remember this clearly. I remember learning about this in college. I, I remember studying this. Like, no, this is impossible. And then, yeah. you know, so then, just recently, okay, I started looking it up again, that Mandela effect. It's gone. We're now back on the outer edge of the galaxy. We're now back in the Orion arm of the galaxy and the outer edge and the outer fringes of the galaxy. We're no longer on the Sagittarius arm. I can't find any reference to it. So the same thing happened to me because Orion is always in the same spot in my yard. And I've been here almost seven, almost eight years, I Mm -hmm. think. Maybe seven. And Orion is always in the same spot. So come summer or spring, summer, right? That placement shouldn't be any different. And it was, and I was like, what the F is going on? Orion's always over here, right? Mm-hmm. And instead it was in a different location. And I pulled out the Google or the star app, you know, yeah. and it pulls it up and it's like pulling me the other way. And I'm like, no, like as a kid, I wrote fifth grade report on Orion. Like I, it was my favorite constellation. That's why I did Orion. And sure, shit. So I know what Orion is. I know where it is, everything else. And I was like, flabbergasted I, it was not where i thought it should be right yep because that's so man that's i can't believe we had the same experience and yeah. both our houses face east to west which i never knew with you yeah um, yeah it, it's um but but there's definitely something happening and i don't think it's related to cern or anything like that i think it's just how reality unfolds and i think that we are not only traveling in time forward in time um but we're also reality jumping. This is one theory that I had about death is that when someone dies, they, they wake up in their bed at like age 30, you know, and like a 90 year old man dies. He, he dies, he goes through the light. All of a sudden he wakes up and he's having a nightmare and he's 30 years old again. And his life just resets and starts off from that point again. We actually talked about that, about dad. Remember when I told you I had that dream about dad and that he was driving in a car and he went through the windshield and he woke up in his bed and he was like born again. And he's like, what? I, I just died in a car accident. And then you're like, dude, dad actually, dad actually happened to dad. <laughs> I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. But it, it's, um, it's plausible. I mean, you know, just think about it. Everything is plausible. You know, that special letter in the alphabet said, we are, the people have the power. Yeah. And maybe the power isn't, you know, physical power, right? We, But it is it is a conscious power. And that if everybody is on the same page, that 360 million people don't want something to move forward or the whole world as a whole doesn't want something to move forward, the, then therefore it will not. And maybe that's what that's meant is that the power is in the people. Well, I think we have a, a, yeah, I think we have a collective conscious uh, reaction in this world. I think that we have a collective consciousness. I absolutely do. You know, in a lot of, uh, 
in a lot of mystery um, societies, the belief is in, in, and I don't want to offend anybody out here. This is not my teachings. This isn't what I study. But in a lot of the mystery schools, they teach that humanity has a collective conscious. And that when you die, that is heaven. That you don't go to like heaven or hell or anything. You go to the back to the collective. You you accumulate back with all the other human energies, the conscious energies, into the collective, and then you the cycle repeats over and over again. And, and I tend to think that that's probably more real um, than a lot of other theories. And the reason I say that is because. There's something that people are tapping into. There's something that people, uh, some type of field is the best way to example, uh, best way to, to label it. But there's some type of field that people can tap into, that people can go and experience, that people can touch, and it changes their life forever. I just happened to start watching a whole bunch of TikToks on near death experiences, and uh, you know, death is a topic for me that's like. It's not difficult to talk about, but it's difficult to go to think about your own death, right? It's a hard yeah. thing to do. It's it's especially a hard especially if you know it's you know especially it's inevitable. Listen, that very many people don't just fall asleep and never wake up. You know, most you know, like our dad passed away of a heart attack. Yeah, I think about that sometimes in the sense of the fear, the panic. All of these emotions that you must experience when something like this is tragically happening to mm-hmm. your body. And then, you know, you're a shock, you're dealing with shock and all of these things. And, uh, you know, most deaths, I think, are traumatic. I-, I agree. In some, whether it's emotional trauma or a physical trauma, it, you know, so I get what you're saying. Well, it, you're going out the same way stuff. you came in. Yeah. I, I mean, we, think about childbirth. Isn't it not traumatic for the mother and the baby? Yeah. How a woman, after having the first child, wants to have another is beyond me. Well, very true. It is something very, very beautiful. You know, it's it's having a child of my own was was life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. And um, there's something very special about it. And that's probably what has changed my my position on, you know, that hot topic abortion lately. And, um, you know, so I, I, at some point in my life, I changed my position on it. And um, because it is a beautiful thing, you know, if, if a child within the womb, which is supposed to be the most sacred, safest place for a child within the womb, doesn't bother you that the, the, the murdering of that child but school shootings bother you hmm. and abortion doesn't, you've got issues. That's the way I see it. Agree. Because a school is supposed to be a safe place for children. And if you think that is tragic, then you should think that all of those things are tragic too. Right. I, I want to agree. bring this up. This is a right. touchy subject. So it is, <laughs> you know, that's where well, we'll I'm going to digress there. back into the sanctity yeah. of life and death. Um, but the baby, the infant goes through trauma being born. And so it only makes sense. And in, in, in what I honestly think, and if you travel and venture into various esoteric occult or magical circles, 
In order to produce any type of magical spell, whether it's to influence your reality for your own benefit or whatever it might be, is that you have to induce a level of trauma. The trauma has to be induced. And typically what people do is they put themselves through various aspects of stress. And so this might be like, um, uh, well, how about this? It, it's Trauma can be identified in various different ways. So people, I know what people are thinking right now. One of the main reasons for ritualistic sacrifice was to basically proxy that trauma onto independent sources to utilize for the creation of the magic. Okay? We're not talking about that tonight. I don't want to talk about it. I want to get into the dark stuff. But basically, to produce any type of magical spell or influence in the world is there has to be a level of trauma. Now, think about this in the sense of a person who's never practiced magic before, a person who's just a regular human being that wants to be successful in life. He reads all the books, he goes out there, and he starts taking the appropriate action to get his life together. He gets discipline in his life, he gets discipline in his diet, his physical life, he starts working out, he's reading all these books, he's taking his extra money, he's investing it. After he gets off of work at 6 p.m., He's up till you know midnight, one in the morning, studying and building his ideas out. He starts his business, makes millions upon millions of dollars, right? And people will say, "Well, man, he was just lucky, or it was easy for him." No, he he induced massive amounts of stress into his body, his mind, and his spirit to manifest that to happen. Those are that's a trauma, right? Absolutely. And so there's multiple ways of trauma. One of these is, you know, affirmations. And so you'll put yourself in a stressful position, like a yogic position, and you'll produce mantras. Another one is orgas- at orgasmic. You know, an orgasm is traumatic to your body. Your body is convulsing, right? Convulsing to produce things, okay? But you can utilize these energies to make these things happen. And so, you know... It seems to be a principle within the universe that in order for creation to occur, there has to be a process of trauma endured. And death is no different. And so I think that even the people that pass away in their sleep, who's to say that they're not having a nightmare? Who's to say that they're not, you know, that that they don't have the trauma? I, I just never heard of anybody who witnessed somebody pass away in their sleep, right? Like, I've never heard that story before, but... Um, yeah, I, I'm starting to think that when we start looking at death is I look at death as a transition, um, a, a return back to the collective, a return back to spirit, a return back to mm-hmm. wherever it is. It's not a long, cold sleep like a lot of people think it is. Um, life is a cycle. I, I, I use the example of the tree every winter, every fall, the tree, the leaves begin to die. Eventually, the leaves fall down. But let me ask you. Do the leaves fall down completely green? If there's no windstorm or rainstorm or anything like that, the leaves stay on the tree for the most part until they are browned and devoid of life. Why? Because the tree pulls back in all the nutrients, all the moisture from the leaves into the tree. Then the leaves, the body, falls down to the ground, replenishes the soil, and next spring, the tree blossoms, new leaves, new branches, new buds, with the same life force that it brought in to preserve itself for the winter, right? Why do you think they? Why do you think they call it spring? That's right. Bouncing, everything bouncing back to life. Bouncing back to life, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, when we start, and I think death is one of those interesting topics. But I've started looking at near-death experiences. And yeah, these are good ones. This is the this is the interesting thing out there because 
And, and I don't mean to label or single people out, but I want everybody to understand this perspective. Is I've read a lot of different near-death experiences. I've seen a lot of videos of people explaining their near-death experiences. I've seen the ones where the guy goes through and it's a swirling tornado and he goes up there and there's God. There's Jesus. Jesus is guiding him through. Um, the guy goes up there and there's angels or there's grandma or whoever it might be. We get these all these occurrences, right? Mm-hmm. Then we get the guys that go out there and they meet the devil. They go to hell. They go through fire and brimstone. Now, here's the problem. Is how many near-death experiences have you heard of people from other cultures? Have you heard the one of the guy going through and meeting Odin? Have you heard the one of the woman going through and meeting Buddha? Have you heard the one of, you know, the guy going through and meeting Allah or Muhammad? Here's the thing. Is it's cultural in its nature. And so I think that this is has two points of variation. I think one is that our minds are more powerful than we could ever imagine. And a near-death experience could be just our minds producing one last illusion to soothe the pain of death as the consciousness falls away, but there's no evolutionary indication of that, as well as the non-locality aspect of near-death experiences completely negates that whole point. And then the second part is that death, whatever appears to you in these near-death experiences, is not the truth, but only the truth as you know it. And I think that's really important. I think that is incredibly important to know. Because a person who dies and sees the devil or hell or Satan, right? They typically came from a life of ill will, of bad, of negative, of drugs, uh, of torture, of violence. And they know subconsciously that what they do is wrong. Therefore, at this moment of death, their brain manifests from its subconscious mind. Hey, this is what was built as a model in your mind of what you believe the afterlife is back. And this person comes back, he finds Jesus, whatever. That's great. Then you get these people that go through and meet Jesus. Well, guess what? They're, they're either Christians or they're influenced in some way by Christian, uh, you know, Christian religions, or, or maybe they're just, you know, Western society. Right. But then you take the boot, you take the, the Asian who grew up in a Buddhist society. I, I don't hear too many accounts of them who never had any influence whatsoever of Jesus. All of a sudden saying that, Hey, I met Jesus. Right? They always meet Buddha or they meet Krishna or they meet one of these figures. And so this tells me that whatever you interact with, whatever consciousness you're interacting with at that point of death, it does so in an intelligent and coherent manner to where it relates directly to the experience that you just had as a human being. And it's completely relative to what you believe is true. I don't know. In some ways, yes. But like when I had my incident, I will tell you like, think of like a thousand pictures flapping like this. But it's from birth. It's from birth to that moment in your life. And they're just flapping by. I, I have no oxygen. I can't breathe. This is what's happening in my brain. Visually, I can see these images, okay? 
mm-hmm. but my eyes are closed. So I'm seeing these images boom, 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 flapping through my eyes. And then I'm picked up. When I'm picked up, I I grasp air and I come back to life. Okay. Or I start mm-hmm. to breathe again. So my brain has oxygen. So I get what you're saying there, but I'm trying to give you the, the look of what happened to me. You know, some of these near death, near death experiences, a lot of these people are induced, meaning they're in surgeries and things like this. And then they have these experiences. So those people are, you know, drug induced, I, I, you know, with anesthesia. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd like to take the, uh, a look at it where, you know, a kid drowned, you know, pull, got pulled out. Those stories I think mean more to me than when somebody is under a high, um, uh, without a sedation, you know what yeah, I mean? Sedation. Well, but yeah. here's, here's but the like, one occurrence so, with all the people under sedation is they die. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is that yeah. at some point under the sedation, they die. They are clinically dead. So, I mean, we got to yeah. add that in there that they are dead when that happens. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, it's pretty wild. We're talking about this because I just saw one where a woman was um, in surgery and she died and then they uh, they took her away and she was up and uh, she met with, you know, like you said, she met with people and they were like, listen, your job's not done. And they sent her back. And for about 10 minutes, she hovered above her body and watched the surgery and listened to all the people talking. And then she went and ventured her body again, came out of the surgery. And she was like, yeah, I heard you guys talking about this. And they're like, you didn't hear us talking about that. And she was repeating the conversation. They realized that she really did. You know, it's just one of those freaky stories. But interestingly enough, I guess my point to you was about the images is that to me, that's what's happening to the brain. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we, when we look at these realities and, you know, you hear people say, well, could we be living in a simulation? What happens to a hard drive when you shut it down or what happens to a computer when you shut it down? Right. Mm -hmm. Closes all programs. Is that program your life? And that's what I was seeing was the programs getting closed. Hmm. And when I grasped oxygen, I rebooted. I mean, that's like I said, something so simple. Yeah. When did you, you when, when did this happen to you? Uh, um, Maybe a year before dad passed away. Huh. And uh, yeah, I was partying. And uh, I, I'll tell you the story. I don't give a shit. So I was partying. We were drinking and everything. I was pretty fucked up. And uh, we went back to somebody's camper because this happened at the campgrounds. Melissa was outside on the deck and we were doing bongs. And I, I used to smoke really heavy. And uh, I, you know, did the bong and I was like, like that you know not trying to let this smoke out and i exasperated all the oxygen in my lungs and uh all of a sudden i just i didn't fall like this i just squatted when i squatted the way my head was cut off all the oxygen to Ah. my lungs and so everybody's like you know they're like what the fuck i dropped everything that i had i held hold my beer and i was just leaning up against the wall but i couldn't breathe and uh, somebody opened the door and yelled for Melissa after looking at me for like 45 seconds, <laughs> not breathing. And Melissa came in and grabbed me and pulled me up. And when she pulled me up, she brought my head up. And I was like, <gasps> yeah. Oh, man. You know, I yeah. had an experience. Um, 
I, I was at a, a clam bake and I had never eaten clams before. And I don't have a shellfish allergy. And uh, everybody had their bag of clams. And I'm just kind of a friend at the party. And uh, my buddy's like, you want one, man? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try one. I've never had one before. And I ate one. And uh, I ate one. I'm like, yeah, not not for me, right? And so we're playing some hacky sack. And we just smoked some some weed. And pretty good weed back in the day. And I'm playing some hacky sack. And uh, I start zoning out. And you know how you zone out and all of a sudden everything's going like this? This is not marijuana. Everything's going boom, 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 boom. Well, whip it. Yeah, well, the th- everything's like flying by, right? And I'm like, I looked at everybody. I'm like, man, I, I feel like I'm tripping. And then everything slowed down. It was like, man, or like everybody was just in slow motion. And all that whooshing started going like this, started twirling. And everything just started, it just got faster and faster and faster. And it felt as if I was looking upward. And everything was like a kaleidoscope twirling and it came down and like it just like went into my head and i remember waking up i was on the ground by this time i was on the ground and i i I puked oh and i puked and all of a sudden just everything went away and i was like oh my god they're like you okay man I'm like, I guess I can't eat clams. Like, <laughs> so I have not eaten clams or oysters ever since then. Because Don't get any for the delay, huh? Yeah. Well, no. I get they mess me up, man. They mess me so. up. But I just had some over uh, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, but it, they 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 screwed me up hardcore. And I don't know if it, like it's pretty odd to find the one bad clam out of thousands of them at a clam bake, you know? Like, that makes no sense. And so I assumed it was just the clams in, in general, how they affect me. And, uh, but that's one thing that I looked at, because I I'd had, by that time, I was pretty experienced um, um, psychonaut, right? I had tripped multiple times. Um, I, I did a lot, enough drugs to where I knew the difference. And this thing affected my perception of time it affected my perception of space. And even when I was passed out on the ground, collapsed, I still felt as if I was standing up and everything was spinning around me and the spinning was speeding up faster and faster and faster. And then the interesting thing is, is it all spun into my head. Boom. And it was like, it was like I got hit. And when it got hit is when I threw up. That's wild. Yeah. But I mean, that's Damn, yeah. Conversation, too, yeah. Man. Well, look at that shit. Yeah. But, but as for like, you know, I, I've had past life experiences in the sense of hypnosis, but I've never had a near death experience, and I and I don't want to <laughs> have, but it's not something I'm asking for. Well, you uh, almost had one when you were a kid. I Jesus. probably did. I, I probably had a few of them. I just don't Actually, remember them. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if you do remember this, but well, there's the pertussis vaccine. I went into anaphylactic anaphylactic shock. Then there was the uh, the SIDS or the the the, the stuck yeah. epiglottis, and yeah. then there was for a while sp- there for a while there we thought mom John and I actually thought mom might have been like trying to take you out. <laughs> I'm just kidding, mom. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, no, that was pretty scary, you know. Like, uh, you know what I noticed? I will talk about that, but uh, 
that was like scary, you know, as being your older brother and have, you know, you, this is your littlest brother, you know, I've already had another brother, right? Nothing mm -hmm. like this happened to him. And then you're born and you have these issues. It was scary. I remember one night it went off the alarm because you used to go to bed and you'd have all these things all over you. Did you right. know that? No. No. Yeah. You'd have to, mom or dad would have to put all these things all over your chest. And if you stopped breathing, you were hooked up to a monitor and the monitor would go off and that's, then they would come in and they'd have to wake you up. And uh, it went off one night. It was the scariest thing, man. Cause you know, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know until your mom or dad come down. And they're like, everything's okay. You know, or yeah. they're making a phone call and that was scary shit, you know? And that's why it, I find it interesting that your perception of our relationship when you were younger was different than my perception. You know, like I would have said that you were probably the brother I was closest to, but you were like, ah, Jay and I were really distant when he was older. And that was, you know, but I didn't look at it that if way. If I was the one you were closest to, man, then you have a <laughs> shitty relationship. You're not mm. joking. I'm joking. We probably would have. We probably would have fought a lot. Well, I, I, I think that a lot of it had to do with the, the age gap. Yeah. Um, But, but also it had to do it, with like... Jeremy. It had to do with our middle brother, who was this intermediary between us, who had massive problems in life. Mm-hmm. You know? So... Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't remember much. I remember, like, yeah, I don't really remember oh, anything. Dude. I Surprisingly, I remember a lot of things, you know. I, rem I do remember some things about you because they were so impressionable because you did some crazy shit, man. I won't tell anybody on this show. You did some crazy shit, <laughs> man. Makes me laugh. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, you did some things that made me like, Don't I, lady? That, kid, that kid's got balls. Yeah. Kid's got balls. You would have, uh, well, you didn't pretty much done anything we told you to. You know, I was actually, I, I was watching a video the other day and it was talking about um, post uh, traumatic stress. And it was talking about people who endured trauma early in their life and certain characteristics they would have as an adult. And I'm like, ah, shit. And I'm sitting there going, what did they do to me? Like, because I don't remember my childhood. It's not that I don't want to. I just, I don't know what it is, the yeah. mental block, right? Um, but I think there's a lot of probably trauma that I had, whether it was from the the way my brothers treated me, the way the family structure was run or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, turn the drugs. And obviously that's, you know, people look at that as glamorization. It's not. It, it's trauma. You know, you're, yeah, you're producing trauma to a, a growing and developing body. And, you know, we're lucky that we made it out, you know, Absolutely. sane and with our biochemistry still balanced. Um, and sort so, of. yeah, right? I mean, yeah. So, I, I mean, Dude, I, we... I look at it like, man, I'm blessed. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. Like, when you say, like, I'm going to tell you a story and then you tell me if you have any fears from this. So, when you were a kid, this is before you could walk. So let's just say eight, nine, maybe a year old, right? Mm -hmm. and diapers, you're definitely in diapers, but you could walk, okay? And we used to have the circular thing, and in the middle of it was a seat. And then the whole out bottom part of the circle were wheels. And then the upper part of it was a tray, and they had like, you know, sliding things. Yeah. Shit, shit what little kids would play with, right? And so remember how you had... 
Yeah, remember how the, you had the living room was up here, and then this you had a step down to the, yeah, the kitchen. Step down. We pushed right the table. Yep, we pushed the table over against the freezer and the refrigerator, and we'd take you from the fireplace area, and we'd whip you as fast as we could, and you would go flying in the air over that seven inch step. Boom! Land onto the kitchen floor, and you'd be like, "Let's do it again." We could do that for hours, bro. So, do you have any fears of like, you know, that kind of stuff? Nope, not at all. Perfect. See, we made you an adrenaline junkie then. Definitely not an but, adrenaline junkie, but uh, I, I am in certain instances, right? Uh, I can tell you, I definitely crave it. I, I crave adrenaline, but. Um, I, I remember the walker. I remember it was it was a white. It was blue and white, and uh, mm-hmm. I remember the thing that you're actually talking about. Um, and I, I I can walk myself through that house right now in my mind. I can see the entire oh, yeah. house exactly every part of it. The uh, the brownish light tannish carpet that was on the floor. Um, then we had what was the blue carpet? Wasn't it like a light blue carpet in those rooms yeah. that we were just talking about? Dude, you know you can go to Zillow, and that house was for sale not too long ago. Oh yeah, and you can. And you can walk through the pictures. And remember the cabinet? So remember the bathroom? And then remember John's bedroom up by the front of the house near the front door? Yeah. Remember that wood shelf? Yeah, the, the, the old library shelf. shelf. That's still fucking there. Oh, that's awesome. It is. It really is. I really wanted to. I wish I had the money at the time because I would have bought that house. Yeah. Not for myself, but to probably make a rental. I got two but... time capsules in the backyard. It's going to be really awkward in a few years when I go back there and start digging where the shed used to be. <laughs> I got some G.I. Joes buried back there, man. There's some, you know, there's another thing. Like, playing with toys. Like, you know, like, we were, I wanted to say that we were, like, we were very into, like, playing with G.I. Joes and, and things like that. You know, I don't know. Like I said, cell phones, I Tonka trucks, the internet. yeah, fucking Tonka trucks and GI Joes and yeah, we had Star Wars dirt piles in the back in a sandbox that we'd go out there and Tonka trunk it. Oh, dude, we had the little mm-hmm. crane, yeah, you know, freaking all that stuff. You'd you'd set up bases. You'd have GI Joe wars. Mm-hmm. You remember, like, like all the kids from Maple Street would come over and, and there'd be like a group over there, a group over there, at least me and Jeremy, oh, yeah. and, and then you'd have GI Joe war wars. Yeah, oh, shoot yeah. dirt bombs. Yeah. Do you guys remember when you broke the patio door? No. Brand new fucking patio door. They had just put it in. You guys were doing the G.I. Joe dirt bombs. So you're like launching a bomb into the, somebody's camp. Mm-hmm. And one of you guys launched a rock. I think it was Jeremy. Launched a rock too far and it hit the patio door. Of course it was Jeremy. Oh, right? <laughs> it was like late fall. You know, no no snow yet, but it was late fall. Um, fucking funny man i yeah. remember a lot from our childhood well, but, but, you, but know, you know maybe i'm supposed to right you know? yeah no and and i think it's good too because you know those memories are are the points that guide you through life and i mean we were just talking about death and we were talking about birth now we're talking about life this is the mysteries of life and i mean for everybody out there i've had a hard time in my life remembering a lot of my childhood um doesn't mean it was good or bad i i really don't know i i remember though and this is what i'll tell everybody i remember a Two specific moments from my childhood. I remember one day walking home. You remember how bells used to be over there and mom would walk behind the houses, behind the old train? The old railroad tracks. Yeah, the old railroad tracks to the house. And I was walking Mm -hmm. with mom and she was carrying groceries. And I said, carry me. My legs are tired. 
And she goes, oh, no, honey, I'm not carrying you anymore. You're five years old. You're a big boy. You start school in a few days. And I remember, I'm like, I what? I mean, I don't get to stay home with mom anymore, and I just started bawling. I was pissed. And uh, then I remember my first day of kindergarten, all right? Mm -hmm. I had Miss Guthrie, as we all did. Yeah. And uh, mom dropped me off and introduced me to Miss Guthrie, and I kind of looked back like, no. And I was the kid that stomped, yelled, screamed at that door, and mom laughed, and I was like, no, I want my mommy. And Miss Guthrie just went over there, grabs you by the freaking arm, drags you, and says, you're going to like this. Get your butt in here. And throws you in the middle with all the other kids. And 10 minutes later, you're completely fine. You forget about your mother. And school's on. So that's two moments that I remember when I was five. And then what I remember is about 10 years of age. And it was as if, like, a light bulb went off in my head. And I, I, this is where I've, I've gathered these theories of coming into being. But it was like, it was almost as if like one day I woke up and I was like, oh my God, like I'm conscious. Like I have a personality. I have an image. I am a person. I'm a being. I'm, I'm an individual. So right? Yeah, yeah. Keep going. And, and I come into this and this is when I, I start realizing that I need to develop relationships in life. I need to talk to people. I need to have friends. I need to go out there and interact with people. I need to learn things. I need to take things seriously, right? I started having responsibility. I was doing martial arts, right? But, like, I mean, before this, it's just kind of like shoot-from-your-hip type of life, right? I'm a kid. My parents take care of everything in my life. I don't, I don't have any responsibility or discipline. I don't need it. I don't care. And then one day, it just all clicked. And I was about 10 years of age. And I remember being... I, I've been conscious since that moment, like, consciously aware of things uh, this is where my memories really start is around this point in time i can go i, I can sit here and i can start thinking and, and you know it's interesting because i just realized now is the separation between this is when i moved from state street to center street mm. is that right when i moved into center street is when all of these memories and all of this stuff started happening and you know you start interacting with other kids you start making friends you start having life events you know, you get your first kiss, you get your first feel, you get all these things, right? And, I like, I have memories of all that. Like, everything from, like, 10 years of age to current day, I could probably sit down and talk for years about all the experiences that I've had. I can sit here and go through it chronologically, kind of like a, a photographic memory. I can see it all. I can feel it all. I, I, can, I can smell the air, the type of temperature it was that day. Just very, very acute uh, sense of those memories. But before that, it, it's very, very vague. I do have one memory, though. And this is this one just came to me. And it was, I think it was Jeremy's room. I don't know if remember if you were there. But this was, Jeremy was having a sleepover. It was, it was uh, Mike Leach, Jeremy, um, I think Chris Buckley. And um, they're all gonna, they're all gonna run away from home. And they all had their bags packed, and they had sticks, and they had the sheets tied up with the sticks, and they had their clothes in there. They're mm -hmm. all going to run away from home. I remember one night where uh, they, they had a sleepover, and they let me sleep with them on the floor in the living room. And I forgot who it was that punched Don Pete in, in the stomach. But he hi started hyperventilating, and they had to call his parents. They almost had to call the ambulance. <laughs> he had to leave. I remember that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to think about life, man. Yeah, as a kid, you know, and it's interesting you said that because 
when I was a younger child, I didn't like my name. I would tell repeatedly tell mom that my name was not Jason. My name was Michael. <laughs> and uh, I hated the name Jason. I hated my middle name even more. People would be like, what's your middle name? I wouldn't tell anybody that. Now I don't care. But um, so it, it, it's interesting that you said that because at some point in my life, I came to terms with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I am Jason Reed. That is who I am. And it's almost like you're, um, it's almost like you're, you're, you're coming to, you're coming from your regression to who you're supposed to be yep. in that moment. Right. And so I think, interestingly enough, as we talk about this, I was watching these videos the other day uh, about people that said like, what is the most interesting thing that you've had happen to you as a parent? And like four or five of them were about kids. Like one kid said, she said, I was dancing with my five-year-old and he said, I miss, it's been a long time since you and I've danced together. And the last person that she danced with was her grandfather who's passed away. Okay. So things like this, where you're hearing these stories of these child children that are, have talking about past lives, right? Now, so when you come through, you're talking about it. So I almost think that if reincarnation was was real, is that maybe we're experiencing or rejecting who we are today because of who we were before we were here, right? Yeah, yeah. And I truly think that that's what I struggled with. I struggled with being somebody named Michael. And I have never gone through the past life regression like you have. You should. Maybe I should. You know, especially because we have it documented that I literally said. What would you do? She was like, your name was Michael something. I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, but it, it could also come out as your subconscious mind, right? It, it could just come out as a reminiscent memory of your subconscious mind. But, you know, on that point yeah. is I've talked about this before is that um, if the existence of the soul is real, which I, I absolutely know and believe, but uh, if science one day proves it, what you'll find out is, is that the soul enters the body through progressive states is that the baby doesn't have the full soul in there. This is why when the baby is born, it's in this alpha and delta state of brain, and it's very receptive to the subconscious. It's still learning. It's still adapting up until about the age of eight. And I believe it's the age of eight, seven and eight, where the soul starts entering the the body more and more because the body's going through these massive growth spurts. This is what kicks in the, the, the hormone growth. And I think it's around that time of 10 to 13 that people start having enough of that spirit inside the body to where the, the soul or the spirit's identity starts to shine through. And I, I look at it as if like filling up a glass, right? Is like, think about the glass full is the spirit in the body. Thank you, honey. Appreciate it is think about the glass full is the spirit in the body, is that when the baby's born, the glass is really small, and there's a very, very little amount of water in it. And as the baby grows, the water gets more and more. That's directly proportional to the amount of mass that the body has. And at some point in time, it hits this critical threshold to where the soul begins to see through the eyes of the body or comes into being. And I think for some kids, this can happen at like five, 
And maybe this is one of the reasons why the old reminiscent soul, who is still attached to the spirit world or the astral world, has these memories of that last life and then why that little kid would say something like that, right? But then when you come into being, you're less in that astral world, less attached to those old memories of old lives or your past life, and you're now attached to this life and this body, and all that starts to fade away. And I call it coming into being. Yeah. And I think this is this is one of the reasons why many indigenous cultures, many various different religions and theologies and belief systems have ceremonies based upon coming into being or coming into adulthood. And this coming into adulthood is when the spirit latches fully into the body and the personality of the spirit begins to shine through. You know, the most, one of the most interesting ones I heard was, is the small child looked up at he was like five and he looked up at his mommy and he said, mommy, we, we, will I, will I live forever with you? Because the last time I didn't get a chance to be born with you. And she admitted that she had an abortion right. at like 17. Yeah. That one, like when you hear shit like that, man, like, I don't know that whole thing gets you. It's funny. And, you uh, said that I, I've heard five stories in my life. Exactly the same of mothers who had had abortions first trimester, second trimester abortions, and they have their kids and their kids will look at them and say, mommy, what were you going to name me before? Mother's like, what are you talking about? Name you before? Well, before when I was in your belly and you decided to, yes. the, the take and, and you decided to put me back mm-hmm. and the mother's like, What? And, you know, um, mom, I'm glad you decided to have me this time. The last time I had to turn around and go home. Like, I've heard this m- many times. And so, yeah. and, and that's another thing for people to uh, contemplate in the sense of abortion. Is this stuff is real. Like, there, there is a spiritual nature to life. There's a dualistic principle playing out here. And that there is this other place that we go. Um, and whatever it is. Whether it's a creation of your own beliefs in your own mind. Maybe maybe the only thing that exists is you and your reality and your reality is your universe and it is whatever you want it to be. And when you die, um, what was the, the movie? Uh, what dreams may come with Robin Williams. Mm. You remember this movie? Yeah. Oh yeah. Where they're all, he's in purgatory. Right. But, but mm. his death, Okay, where he was in purgatory was within his own mind. Did you did you get I don't think a lot of people grasp this about it is that in his death, he was within his own mind, within his own created hell, within his own mind. Okay, the the world that he existed in when he died was his. It was his creation and that the kids and everybody that were saving him. That that was him inside of his own mind saving himself. He was saving his wife. She well, was, yeah, his wife. Sorry, yes, his wife. Yeah, yeah, right. But yeah, that's you know that's a that's a tough movie. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, boy, I got to watch that again. Um, you yeah, know, he was such a great actor, man. He really was. Like, I, did you ever see? I, I'll tell you a movie that fucked me up as a kid: The World According to Garp. Have you ever seen that movie? I've heard of it. All right. So uh, so there's a lot of good actors in this. Uh, John Lithgow is in it. And in, in the movie, Lithgow is actually a uh, a tranny, if you will. So 
Lithgow was playing a man, uh, playing a woman who, you know, who had transitioned. And I forget what he's doing. I think he's trying to get his degree and his life together. And his wife is a professor. And at some point, you know, it's like they're talking about all of the things that are happening in his life. And she cheats on him. And do you want me to tell you what happens? All right. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear about the world according to Garb, don't listen. (laughs) So he she he catches her cheating and she's cheating with a college student and she's breaking up with a college student and he gets her to suck his dick one last time. And Robin Williams is coming home with his kids in his Volkswagen bug. And he he was always played this game where he'd fly into the driveway and turn off the lights before he pulled into the driveway. It was, you know, and he stopped right before the garage. So he turns, he comes whipping home and that college student's car is there and she's giving him a blow job. Mm. And Robin Williams comes in, turns the lights off and rear ends the car. And she bites off his dick. And I think she breaks her jaw and shit and everything's just fucked up after this, right? Because she was supposed to not be cheating on him. And I remember the negative feelings that I had towards relationships because I literally had felt his pain from the movie, like how she made him feel. Right. And uh, man, I'll never forget that. That movie like messed me up. How is, how is Garb conceived? I think he was a mistake. No Mm -hmm. less too. I think he was like an accident, you know, like his mom was promiscuous and had a relationship and he was born. And so, um, oh, that's so it's interesting enough, like how that, but I'm telling you, man, like I always felt insecure that women would cheat on me. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, yeah, you know, cause usually the movies are usually about the men cheating on the women. Right. Right. I don't know. It definitely had a, a play on me, but then he had that movie too, Patch Adams. Yep. Another instrumental emotional movie, right? Um, so yeah, Robin Williams, you know, and that's the oh. great thing ab- about Goodwill Hunting. Um, oh, Goodwill Hunting. You ha- you have uh Jack was a good one. You have yeah. uh, I'm going through his 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 toys. Oh yeah. Toys. Oh my toys? god. What a fucking great movie that was, right? Hook. Yeah. Have you heard the dark side of Hook? That about Pete about Captain Hook about it all the dark the dark story of what it really is that Peter Pan is actually a pedophile that Hook Peter is Pan is actually a save. pedophile and he's trying to keep the children children forever and that Hook and uh, his his buddy there are children that actually him. got out and survived and grew up and are trying to actually save the kids from the pedophile oh, I didn't know that mm, that's dark yeah. Dead Poet Society. Mm-hmm. A Good Morning yeah. Vietnam. Yeah, oh man, he was. Oh, he was. So, I got to tell you. <laughs> so we go out. Most I go out every Friday night. We go out to eat dinner at the same place, and so we've gotten. You know, you observe things when you, especially when you go to a place regularly, mm-hmm. you make observations. And in particular, there's this one waitress, and she always says these things like where she's putting her foot in the mouth, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, she, she always come up after she drops her food up, 
and she'll circle back and she'll go, how's your all first bite? Every time she says it. Every fucking time she says it. And so, like everybody, every waitress there, she has her regulars. And so there's this doctor and his wife and his little girl that come in there. And tonight, and so she's like, how is everything, you guys? You know, she's giving the check and shit. She's like, are you guys going to the air show this weekend? And they're like, uh, no. And then she's like, eh. and she kind of just like spins around and walks into the kitchen. Like just breaks off the conversation and walks yeah. into the kitchen. And Melissa and I were laughing at it. And I was like, you know that part in Goodwill Hunting where uh, Ben Affleck's brother is in the car or something and he's like, I swallowed a bug. And then he puts his head down. Do you know that part I'm talking about? I think so. So basically like he's, it's almost like he's putting his foot in his mouth. So he says something like I swallowed a bug ah, gotcha. and then he kind of like walks away. Right. Cause it's an uncomfortable thing. So, and so whenever I see that moment in time with somebody that has that weird interaction, I think of that scene. Ah, okay. Of, I swallowed a bug. <laughs> so to me, it's so fucking funny. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it, like I said, it's these little things in life, you know, Life is life is fantastic, and it is what you make of it. You know, you're going to have your ups and your downs. You know, I, one one thing I've always wanted to do with this show is I always wanted to get, like, Dr. Bashiu Kaku or Brian Green, these, like, these physicists on this show. And uh, today I came across Brian Green, who, if people don't know Brian Green, he's a British physicist, um, probably one of the highest IQs on the planet. He is probably the foremost expert on Einsteinian theory, special and general relativity. Um, mm-hmm. He's an absolute genius, but he's 100% a mechanistic atheist. And uh, he did this, uh, this TikTok, and it was actually really profound. Although, if he said this to me, I probably would have red-pilled him. But he says, what else more do you want? He goes, the universe derives from this instance of chaos. Things begin to organize and come together. And through spontaneity and random interaction, the molecules that are in your body formed through billions upon billions of years of evolution of suns birthing and dying and exploding. And then all that stuff happening over and over again. And then... It's all going to go back to that point of chaos. It's all going to break apart. And you, you have this consciousness for this very, very smidgen of time in between this chaos within the universe. What more do you want? You're experiencing the, the miracle that the universe created. And so it's kind of beautiful to think about it like that, that we're experiencing this miracle of life within the universe, this, this consciousness to understand ourselves and understand, you know, being in, in nature and in, in the stars and all these things. It, it truly is a beautiful thing. But I didn't like how he said that it was random and spontaneous because he's absolutely wrong there. And as a physicist, you know, he says that the, the configuration of the universe is 100% completely random and that the molecules in your body and your DNA all formulated through random occurrences of interactions. And that's just not true. That, that's scientifically proven not true. And the reason we know this is because the universe actually follows a set pattern of unfoldment. And this pattern is derived through specific mathematics 
that are evolved within sacred geometry, also known as phi, the golden mean, and that the universe orchestrates its design patterns in an architecture based upon the golden mean, the phi ratio. And so it's not spontaneous and random, like he says. And it's just people like that have such a high level of intelligence that they're so ignorant to the simple things that are right in front of them. And so that's one dude I would absolutely love to have a, uh, a conversation with. And I, I, I would test him with the ultimate paradox. I would definitely give him the ultimate paradox. People like that, I'd love to talk to about the ultimate paradox. I forgot who I did it to. The, oh, we did it in uh, an after chat the other night. And uh, I explained everything. And people were like, holy shit, that was mind-blowing. And I, when you use logic and rational rationalism to try to understand your existence and your reality, you can have it make sense. It becomes self-evident to what it truly is. At the end of the day, it's beautiful. At least in my opinion. It is. The smallest thing can be an incredible mystery, though. That's right. That's Yeah. You know, remember the Saturday Live that used to be the Jack Hanley things that make you go, Hmm. You remember that? Deep thoughts with Jack. Oh Handy. yes. Deep thoughts with Jack Hanley. Where does grass seed come from? <laughs> that was back in the hey. days when that stuff was actually funny, though. It's just still funny. You yeah. Remember Pat? Well, oh gosh, I do remember Pat. Right, but you know what? But you no. couldn't do that now. Oh, everybody's a fucking Pat. But Josh, were they conditioning you? Right, you got to look at that. Were they conditioning yeah. you? Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know. Deep thoughts. Jack, Jack Handy. Handy. Is Pat a boy or a girl? Oh, yeah, I don't do know. Do you even need to ask? Isn't it obvious? Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I I love that. Oh man, Pat. Yep. Oh, that's funny stuff. I have no idea to this day what Pat was. I I would have to say Pat was a girl. Uh, me too. Because but... she was played by a girl, but <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that was the day. Those are the days that they actually had good writers, that they had good cast, and in that, yeah, they might have been grooming us, but at least it was funny as hell. I right. mean, yeah, you know, I occasionally come across like Richard Pryor stuff, like you know how racist they were. Uh, the toy. Did you ever oh, see the movie? The toy? yeah. You remember? I used to love Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, bar none, was just incredible. Um, but Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles is incredibly racist, right? Yeah. Well, there's but, this one Saturday Night Live skit with Richard Pryor, and it's... Um, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm going to say a word, and I want, to give you, I want you to give me your first reaction. He goes... Hmm? Yeah. He, yeah, he goes, you know, porch, and he's a cracker. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? And they just keep on going back, and, but it was... It was comedic. It was funny. It was funny bringing attention to serious things, but knowing that two adults could be in the same room and completely have a good time with each other over it. 
because they didn't think of those things about themselves towards those people. Right, exactly. They themselves were only playing a part. Do you ever see the Richard Pryor movie, Moving? With Dana Carvey in it? Yep. And uh, they're moving, and they they go to look at a house, and every room they go into. Oh my God! Look at look at that door. That door's amazing. Up, oh, up! Oh, don't get too too in love with that door. We're taking it with us. And they go to look at those windows. Oh my God! Are those new? Yep, yep. But don't don't get too attached. We're taking them with us. And at the end of the movie, Dana Dana Carvey pulls in the the psychopath schizophrenic murderer with her BMWs all beat up, and it it coasts in the driveway. And they get to the house, and there's no windows, no doors, no cabinets. <laughs> the guy took it all with him. <laughs> My favorite prior movie is probably Brewster's Millions. Oh, that's a good one. Remember John Brewster Candy? Millions? I think Candy is in it, but you know Brewster basically inherits all that money. But he has to spend so much money to appreciate all of the money. Right. You remember that? Yep. And and I I might have talked about this before because of uh so he basically runs for like governor and he runs on the none of the above campaign. Right, none of the above. Vote none of right. the above. Vote none of the above. Yeah. Yep. And he has that Montgomery that. Brewster and Spike Nolan. Yeah, and he was a pitcher, you know, so that was even even cooler, you know, dude. Yeah, yeah, but you know that was a that was a different time. Really was, and yeah. you know, look at the the transgression of time from that point, right? Mm-hmm. Is I remember the eighties. I remember, like, I don't remember much of my child. I remember the eighties. I remember the feeling. I remember it was probably the summer of eighty eight or eighty nine, State Street. And I went out in the back deck. It had to be earlier than that because it was before the deck was built. It was that wood, that brown wooden step down from the sliding mm-hmm. door, right? And I remember going yeah. out there, and uh, Dad was working on something in the backyard, and the radio was on. And uh, it was um, Boston, more than a feeling, was playing, and it mm-hmm. was pristine blue skies. It was the upstate New York summers, right? June, July. And I remember the breeze, the warm breeze that came in. And I remember just feeling how free and peaceful it was. I remember just no cares in the world. Right. And I think that's how a lot of people felt growing up in the 80s. It's like, you know, we're the number one nation in the world. We got good education systems. You know, our families are making good money. The economy's doing all right. You know, things are good. And I think that also a part of that is the parents sheltered us a lot from the problems in the family. And I think that that was a natural thing that derived out of the Great Depression and so forth because parents never really brought the kids into adult matters and there was no reason to. And you could keep that from them and make the kids have the appearance that life is hunky-dory and safe because they're going to grow up better. And then I remember the 90s. And the 90s was like, you know, it's the 60s turns upside down, but it was a free-for-all. It was... It was kind of just like live free, man. Just live free. This is this is a great place. It's full of mystery, but still a great place. And then progressively, things in the 2000s got worse and worse and worse to the point where I won't let my kid go to the park by themselves. I won't even let them two go together unless there's someone else with them and they need three people to go to the park. Like, they, they can't go be kids. They can't go out and do things because there's the potential for dumb people and crazy people to do dumb and crazy things. 
Yeah. This world's changed, man. Yes, changed. And it's sad, honestly. Like what you were just talking about, man. All I heard was dad or dad go, Jay, go get Jason, go give me another beer. And I'd run into the house, right? Run into the house. You'd hop up onto the deck or you'd hop onto that step, slide the door open. You'd walk into that room with a brick wall on it, turn right, go to the kitchen. I, I take that. Dad used to drink genuine, clear bottle, genuine draft Miller High Life. I'd pop that bitch off and go, on that neck, I go, eh. <laughs> and then I'd run it out to Dad every time I did that. I'm telling you, I used to love that beer. I actually still drink it once in a while. But when I do it, it makes me think of those times. And like you said, you know, you didn't have, could you just imagine living that time right now? Like you were worry free, even if we had money problems or, you know, we weren't rich, you know, dad had four boys, you know, ate him out of house and home. (laughs) But, but did you know you were poor? Did you ever feel like, man, I don't have enough in life, you know? If anything, I think when you became a teenager in the house, you you lacked love in a sense, right? Because you were coming into manhood, right? It's the, I think it's the maternal thing of being able to start to shoo the kids out of the house. Mm-hmm. To me, it took mom like another 10 years for that to work for me. <laughs> but, uh, she but had that, the irony you, in that, in the end on that one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but but it's it's interesting how that all works. And it's, uh, yeah, I miss those times. You know, like, interesting enough, you said Boston more than a feeling, yeah. right? You know, think about that. More than a feeling. You can hear that song. Yeah, I, I can hear the, the radio. When I, when I walk out, I can hear it yeah. on the radio. I can feel the warm breeze on my arms. I'm sitting down on the step, and I'm watching Dad, and I'm gazing at the blue skies. And just, because this, I mean, the field behind the house was just, field to the specialized right there and, yeah. and I just remember how beautiful it was I just how 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 much of a loving free feeling it was it's like my only like memory of like the 80s I remember I remember parties I remember going through I remember John used to have parties and I'd go through you know, all the red cups and I'd start drinking all the leftover beer and all the red cups I had to be eight or nine and I'd get hammered oh god that's disgusting thinking about all the sh- yeah. yeah, me and Vinny would go around drinking all the beer. Yeah. They had a few you of them that, would actually give us beers. Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to uh, circle back, I saw an interesting thing the other day about, uh, was it Da Vinci that painted the 16th ship? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, and no, it was Michelangelo. Michelangelo. So you have the God's finger here, and I assume it's Adam's finger here like this. And they were showing a picture of it of how the it's a certain part of the brain. So they put an image of the brain mm-hmm. over God and they talked about that portion of the brain and how monumental it is in brain development. Right. Yeah. And uh, the frontal lobe. More or less, yeah. But more or less is that that part of the brain or, you know, was Michelangelo, the questions they were asking was, is Michael was Michelangelo trying to tell you that, that, God has to be here, right? And if that's the case, you know, I would say that the number one thing that has changed from that time is the de- the destruction 
of God and and family and in the home. Yeah. You know, if God is positive and the devil is negative, right? If it's yin and yang, if you will, right? Light to dark. Why do you want the other one? Yeah. Why do you want to live that life of misery, of devoidance, of emptiness, when you could have a life of fullness of... I mean, but then you get into structure and you get into indoctrination, you get into structured religion. And I, I think that's for some people, but it's not for me. But I definitely live with God within my mind and my heart. And what and that goes back to the near-death experiences. We just made a full circle here. In the sense of what these people were experiencing, right? Is they experience not the true God or truth, they experience what they believe to be the truth, whether it was Buddha, Odin, Jesus, Allah. That's what they experienced in these near-death experiences. And not one of them holds the blanket of truth, for those experiences were true unto them. Yep. Either, right? All right, we are going to take open lines, but fuck, we're out of time. <laughs> How about this? We're gonna we're gonna give you guys. We're gonna do fifteen minutes. We're gonna go ahead and and do in a little extra time. Um, we're we're planning on going to fringe after dark in about thirty minutes. This will bump it up. However, over time we go, that's gonna bump up fringe after dark. I'll make the announcement of when we're gonna go on the fringe after dark afterwards. For those interested in fringe after dark, it's a Zoom call that gets broadcast on YouTube. You can watch on YouTube or you can join in the Zoom with a subscription. Um, and it's all the information that on that is in the social red pill. You can join the social red pill. And we typically have this type of conversation. We'll talk about a lot of other things, but you guys are all more than welcome to join. If you guys want to give us a call and ask a few questions, I know a few of you guys want to probably talk to Jason. Feel free to go ahead and give us a call. The numbers are listed below. You can go 253-215-8782. 253-215-8782. And what you need to do is you need to put in the Zoom code in order to get in this. And so it's going to ask for a meeting ID and a passcode. And so Vince will put the one number out and the meeting ID and passcode in the chat. If you guys want to call in, I recommend that you do not come on video, but you just come in uh, on audio. And what I'll do is I'll pin Jay and myself and... Um, I'll pin Jay and myself, and what I'm going to do is real quick, I'm just going to transition over to a blank screen, and uh, you guys will probably see my mug sitting right here for a minute, then we're going to go just like that, yep, there we go, now we'll transition back, alright, cool, so if, if you guys want to go ahead and, and give us a call, please do. And we can take it from there, we're just talking about life. We're talking about everything about life. And so there's the numbers right there. And then you got to put in those passcodes. And to that one person that just came in, um, no, you're, you're, you're not welcome in here. <laughs> and he knows who he is. Uh... I just saw that. Yep. All right, we got a call. Let me go to my Zoom and see if we can do uh -oh. this correctly. 
All right, we got a call. As long as it's not the one person I saw there. If it is, we're just going to immediately delete them because I don't want to talk to that person. But um, let's go ahead and bring this person in. All right, caller, what's up? How are we doing? Hi, hello. Who is this? A New Jersey Patriots over here reporting for duty, Josh, Joshua and Jason. Very cool, very cool. How are we doing tonight? We're doing good. I am reporting from the battleground. I want to talk to you about my experience with people because I work in a supermarket here in New Jersey. Sure. What's your experience with people? Yes, I work at Aldi's, which is a supermarket that sends discount prices. And I and I have to uh, remind people that what Biden is doing with the prices going up is on purpose. Mm-hmm. Every day, every day, complaints, complaints, complaints. People are waking up. I'm telling them this is on purpose. You see the gas? is We're not going to make it till November. Stuck up. Stuck up. It's terrible. I I 100% agree. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's a very chaotic and crazy time. But you're right. People are waking up. And, and that's the beautiful thing with what's happening in this world is that people are waking up. And it's almost as if this collective consciousness is coming together and unifying the people. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And... A week ago, I had a, I had a confrontation with a crazy liberal. One thing is to see them on the TV and on Twitter. It is a different one when they are in your face. Josh, Jason, this is, this is true. Uh, she said, I'd rather pay $50 per gallon than having Trump on oh. the administration again. And then I said, I lift my fist in the air, something to cover me. And I said, God bless Trump. And I yell on the store, God bless Trump. She went back, she's crazy. And my, and my boss, she threw her out of the, out of the, out of the store. Good. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I appreciate your call and, and thank you for being a patriot and, and a listener and appreciate you checking in with us. Thank you. Kisses to Beans. I love him too. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, let's go. She said kisses to who? Kisses to you guys. Awesome. Oh, okay. All right, let's go. I believe this is Canada. So I have a feeling that this is going to be someone that you'll you'll recognize the name. All right, let's let's jump them in. What's up, caller? How are we doing? Hello, can you hear me? I, I can is this Klein BMX? Yeah, nailed it. What's up, Clive? How we doing? Well, I'm doing great. I got notes this time. Oh, God, here um, we go. So I'm, well, I'm just, I'm. this is a question that I've been posing to people, especially recently. In, in, in light of, like, Dan Bongino saying, look, all rules are off the table. Mm-hmm. Okay? And Sinsu, the art of war. When your enemy drops its weapon, pick it up and use it against them. Now, we've been lied to forever, right? Can mm-hmm. we agree on that? Agreed. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, I think 
the truth will set us free. There, is that be- is that better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, oh, great. So, look, I've got a, a graduated questions for you and, and the audience, and myself as well. These, this is, these are questions that only the individual can answer. Mm-hmm. Like, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. Jason, uh, good to see you. Thank you. I'm, you know, you're the you're I, a mis, you're a mystery person. <laughs> like, I I would say if there was any viewer out there that used to boggle my mind if he was a man or a woman would have been climb BMX because I didn't know if you were a guy or a girl. And so, I, I as much as we were talking about Pat tonight, I think you're our Pat because I really never knew. I was always curious. I'd be like, because Klein BMX is gender neutral. The name is gender neutral. Yeah, it's yeah. gender neutral. But you know, I've n- I've never met him. I've and never that's talked to part him. of the mystique. That's part yeah. of the mystique. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I really appreciated listening to your uh, family, uh, uh, young family stories. That was hilarious. Yeah. And the world according to Garp. That mm. it struck me as well. I, did it so really? It just uh, I'll leave it. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, the question, uh, just a couple of graduated questions here is, now, for everyone, would you lie? Most people, no, 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 the, the truth will set us free, right? And I agree with that, you know. But does the truth work on evildoers? Hmm. Okay. So the, the graduated questions here, would you lie to maintain and uphold your individual rights and freedoms? Hmm. So you no. you go ahead and answer if you want to, because uh, I've got some more questions. If, what so, do you think? Would you? Would you? Go ahead, Jay. Go ahead and go first. So the first question was, would you lie to... Yeah, just in general. In oh, general. Yeah, sorry. So would you lie to, to maintain... Be, yes, I think everybody lies at some point, or at least embellishes the truth, right? I will tell you that you the stories we fat? tell about our kids are not, but... What's that? Yeah. Do you, do you think I'm fat? Uh, <laughs> you know, are you going to lie about that? It's, so now would you lie to protect your family? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I would. I've, I've got a, I've got a granddaughter. <laughs> I would. Mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, uh, bon, Dan Bongino, all rules are off the table. Sinsu, when the enemy drops its weapon, we've, we've been lied to for mm. like forever, right? Mm-hmm. Literally. I, I don't know how old you are, but what I will say is that come, when Josh redpilled me, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. We were always like taught never to trust the government, that the government was always out to take you or, you know. And as progressively we've got older, I think we've always had that discern, like, and eh, never trust the government. So, but I think they're truly people really do trust the government. And, you know, you had asked the question, would I, would I lie to keep my amendments or my, my constitutional rights? And the answer to that question is yeah. just no, no, because they're my God given rights. There's no reason to lie about it because they're my God given rights. Right. I don't need to lie. Right. What it in the face of evil doers? Mm-hmm. No, you can add that addendum. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. You know, if 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 it came down to 
a gun up against my head to succumb to this administration or to succumb to communism or socialism, I would not lie and say I succumb to it. Nope, I don't agree with it. Take me out. I, I would rather be dead than not be free. You know? Yeah, but, totally. And people have done that uh, to, uh, in history while they get their heads chopped off saying, I love God. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They, they hold on to their convictions. And, and, yeah, and that's, right to the bitter end. Yeah, and right to the bitter end. And, and I think that those people, they hold on to those convictions because they understand that the, uh, the martyr scenario is playing out and that they're going to the bitter end. Um, although I think that there are certain scenarios, like if, if a Gestapo police force, task force is arranged, and let's say they start going door to door and asking questions to American citizens, like the Census Bureau, and they come up to my door and they say, uh, Mr. Reed, we have to ask you a few questions. Um, I'm going to say no. And they're going to say, do you have any guns in the house? I'm going to say no. I lost them all in a boating accident. And I will say no. I will lie on certain extents. I'll lie on certain things that I know where if the information gets out, it will affect the security of my children, my life, my my friends, my family, to where I can keep a secret if people's lives are on the line. If people will die because of the information that I know or that I release, or that if the information that I know can be utilized to defeat so-called enemy, or be utilized in the sense of a defense against a so-called enemy, I will definitely lie to retain whatever that strategy or information is. Uh, and to support that, would you lie to protect the innocent from evil, evil doers or wrongdoers? And let's just the example and Frank, you know, how many people in Belgium, Luxembourg, France, Spain, Germany lied to the Gestapo and said, no Jews here. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I would. So here's I, I think I would lie to save anybody but myself. Right. I think that's fair to say. I would do everything I could. Well said, Jason. Wow. Well said. Well, and I have a difference of opinion, and I'm not a narcissist when I say this. And please understand that I've gone through the mental scenario in my head of this before multiple times. And the question that I always arise in the sense of the scenario Jason just brought about is if it's just my life on the line and I can lie and save my life or tell the truth and become a martyr. Um, I look at it in this sense. Is there any more good that I can do in the world if I'm alive? Is there any more people I can wake up in the world that potentially have the ability to win this war or become an asset to this war? Are there people in this world that will become effective because of me staying around? Is there things left for me to do in this world to bring a benefit to the world? That's what goes through my mind every time that I come to that scenario. And I look at it in the sense that if I'm dead, I'm useless to anything that's happening here. You're not. You'd be be a martyr. Can I give you an example of how we've been lied to? Sure. This is what we're up against, people. A hundred years ago, um, Admiral Stasny uh, 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 in 
the the Red Army was prosecuted for it, it, Josh mm-hmm. for refusing to scuttle the entire Baltic fleet. <laughs> okay, he refused to do it. So the so prosecutor Krylenko in Gulag Archipelago a hundred years ago says, "quote Executions have been abolished, but Stasny is not being executed. He's being shot." That's an end quote. Okay, that's volume one, page 435. He's not being executed. He's being shot. And, you know, they're lying to us. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not new. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what yeah. we're up against. So, Clan uh, BX, I give you a prime example of this. I was watching a documentary on Teddy Roosevelt. So, Teddy Roosevelt, he's storming up the, the political channels and you know, he's he's really rustling feathers and Woodrow Wilson becomes and uh, they they basically put Teddy Roosevelt in with Woodrow Wilson and Woodrow Wilson basically shelves Teddy Roosevelt, basically ships him off. and just is like he has no, 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 you know, basically no voice. And then all of a sudden, Woodrow Wilson is assassinated. Right. In Buffalo, no less. Oh, this, in Buffalo. Wilson wasn't assassinated. That was Garfield. Was it Wood, Garfield and Woodrow? Wilson came after Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was vice president to Garfield. Garfield was assassinated. Or not Garfield, okay. Taft. 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 Okay, sorry. It was Taft. So Taft is assassinated, and then and then Teddy gets in, and then Teddy's like, oh, fucking roar, 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 roar. And then Teddy gets shot, right? So to me, I, all of a sudden, like with all the things happening in the world, I'm like, that's an eye for an eye. Taft was shot because he ruffled feathers and quieted Teddy. And Teddy got shot for Taft getting shot. That's the way I see it. Well, and we figured this out a while back when we looked at this, is this was the pre-organization of the Federal Reserve. And that the Roosevelt's and the American dynasties, the American corporatists, were completely against a centralized bank in the United States. They were Americans. They were royal bloodlines in the Americas. They did not want European bankers and central banks to come in and take control of the country. And Taft was one who got elected and started basically reorganize everything to modern day liberalism. And the people who got him elected basically said, no, you're not going to do that. They eliminated him. And we know this because, and this is a piece of historical context that people can look into. Teddy Roosevelt was the vice president after Taft died. Okay. Roosevelt was elected president by procession, right? Contingency of government. Mm -hmm. Well, one of his buddies who just happened to be um, uh, John Jacob Astor. Okay, one of the financiers in the country um, sent him a letter congratulating him on being uh, president. Now, the funny thing is, is the letter arrived the next day after Taft was killed. Now, this is in the 1800s. We don't have planes flying mail across the country. We don't have buses or trucks driving mail from New York to D.C., Teddy was actually in the Midwest. He was up in the... That's right. Teddy was in the Midwest. He was in Colorado. And so, this letter went from New York to Colorado in less than one day, or John Jacob Astor sent it a week before. If he sent it a week before, 
that means that he knew Taft was going to be assassinated. And then, soon after this, obviously Teddy takes a bullet, but Teddy goes up for re-election. Or Teddy was not going to go up for re-election because they were bringing in, I forgot who it was, I think it was uh, one of these other guys. And uh, Or maybe it was Garfield and Taft was coming in. I think Taft was coming in. Either way. But what happened is Teddy went on a sabbatical to Africa and and throughout the world. And uh, he learns that basically what they're doing is they're rigging the election. And he comes back, enters the election. I think it was under like the Bull Party or something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And they basically cut him out. And uh, they enter a third, uh, another third party candidate. And this is when Woodrow Wilson comes in. And in the first year in office, on December 24th, 1913, they passed the Federal Reserve Act. And two months, or what, is it three or four months before this, John Jacob Astor died on that sinking of the Titanic. Yep. And so they eliminated these yeah. people, got them out of the way. And it's just what's happening right now. But it's you're right, Climb, if you're still there. But that's the line, yeah. Yeah. But this is the line of the history. You know, it should have just been. This was... But, you know, obviously the bad guys won. In, in my eyes, the bad guys won. And the bad guys wrote the history. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, oh, somebody shot Teddy. Oh, somebody shot Garfield. Or, somebody or saw, shot Reagan. Yeah. Oh, no, these are all eyes for These are all doings, in my opinion. And hey, once, you guys, hey, thanks. Th- thanks so much. I'll, I'll I'll let you get on. And just with that, I, I got uh, I'd never heard of Mike Barra before. Oh, cool. And I saw him on your program like six weeks ago or something like that. Got two of his books and the one alien, ancient aliens and JFK, two mm. subjects I really hadn't dipped too much into. But boom, excellent books. Very so cool. thanks for uh uh, uh, leading me that way, and uh, you've so answered all my questions. Both of you have answered all my questions. I, I, thanks to the to the listeners, yeah. everyone out there, Roxy, Patriot Pisces, the, uh, RPG, all of you. I love you, everyone. I I, I wish I was uh, available all the time, but I'm I'm working this uh, afternoon shift, so I, I miss most of your stuff. No worries, my friend. Well, you take care, and we look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Take care, Clem. Bye now. Bye. All right. Uh, all right, guys. So uh, I'm going to give you guys 30 minutes to head over to Fringe After Dark. Uh, so 45 after the hour, 15-2, we're going to be in Fringe After Dark. Uh, you guys know the links are all sent out there. We'll post the YouTube link on the social red pill. Um, I hope you guys had a great show. Thank you for all the calls. Thank you for the great conversation. Thank you, Jay, for coming in and joining us tonight. You guys all have a great night. Jay, any last words? No, I just appreciate all the love and the comments. Um, it's really appreciated. Awesome. I know. All right, you guys have a great night. We'll see you guys later.